0: Hi guys, welcome back to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host, as always, Steve Hall. And today we have another Q&A with Dr. Mike. We dig into what is Dr. Mike's IQ, uh, what IQ test might you want to use to kind of figure out how intelligent you might be. Uh, And we also dig into some things including hamstring training, what maybe you might be doing wrong with your hamstring training, especially if you're finding you're not getting consistently sore and maybe you are doing a lot of volume with your hamstrings and many more of your additional questions here like optimizing health so guys as always do remember we have our online coaching at revive stronger personalized individualized programming and we check in with you regularly to make sure that you're reaching your goals so if you're interested in online coaching for fat loss muscle gain contest prep definitely check out the link in the description we can get a consultation with you but without further ado let's get into the show Hi guys, welcome to the Revive Struggle Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Steve Hall, and we have Dr. Mike on the podcast for another Q&A. Um, anything on your end happened recently, Mike? I know we literally spoke two weeks ago, um, or something along those lines, so it was pretty pretty recent. How, how's everything going? Nothing changed with you in terms of training, nutrition, all going as well?
1: Uh, still massing, finishing up my last meso of massing. Eating is very difficult. It is very annoying. But uh, I'm like somewhere between 245 and 250 on most days. And I have like ab veins. So I'm pretty psyched about it. Um, Yeah, things are going well. After this massing phase, I'm going to be taking an active rest for two weeks and then doing a mini cut for five weeks. And then again, massing for another three to four rest cycles after that.
0: Is your active rest combined with like a trip or anything? Or is it you at home? Often it is, but I think this time is just going to be at home. Is that do you find that easy or is that harder when you're just at home? Um, I am so ready for active rest. It's going to be real easy. <laughs> That's what you, yeah. If you know yeah. you're ready for two weeks of active rest, yeah,
1: I'm pretty over the whole training thing. Uh, I'm I'm really low motivation right now, um, which happens because basically I only took a week and a half of easy training around the time of my show. And then I just rebounded right off of that and was training super hard. So never really took a proper active rest after my show. I felt pretty good after the first mezzo. So I was like, fuck it, I'll keep going. And now I'm paying for it. I mean, not in any real way, just psychologically, I'm just kind of over it. But after two weeks of active rest, gee whiz, I'll be super, super excited to hit the weights again.
0: Is that the main telltale sign for you? Like lack of motivation to train or is there some other markers that you look at to indicate active rest?
1: For me, it's a great sign because I so rarely get it. I'm usually super pumped right. to train, unless it's the last week of accumulation. And then after a deload, I usually feel great again. This time after a deload, I felt good, but I was like, mm, I could use another week of deloading. So for me, the psychology is kind of leading indicator, which is why it's the most powerful. I think there's also some other factors. Um, my joints and connective tissues can feel meh. Nah. Um, the pumps that you're getting, the number of sets you have to do to get the same pump and soreness is like, eh, kind of annoying. Uh, stuff like that. A little mini... Uh, what do you guys call them in the uk niggles yeah, um, niggles. Oh, yeah we're you know for for what i appear would appear to be rather obvious reasons we don't almost never use that term in the united states <laughs> uh so you know stuff like that for me this time i can honestly say i've got none of that like my body is like on fire but my i am so as the french say a little tired I'm just done with the shit. I hate bodybuilding at this point. I can't wait for it to be over. That's a really good uh, you know, reason because you know the thing, I love bodybuilding. So when I'm starting to hate it, it's active rest time. Uh, that's that's all I can tell. How about you, Steve? Do you uh, do you ever feel it really a psychologically need of an active rest or is it something you take just because you know you have to?
0: I think, I don't know. It's a tricky one. I think I, I don't often get to the point where I psychologically know I need to. I think it's more of a case of I have to take it because I am very much a person of routine. So when I'm knocked off that routine, it almost feels worse than kind of anything else. So if I can combine it with like a holiday or a trip, that's the best because I want it like, and then I probably once I actually virtually every time I'm into it, I'm like, man, I needed this more than I realized. So it's almost like I need it pre-programmed in. Otherwise I just would never take it because I'm like, I think part of me is just psychologically like, no, I need to just keep training because training is what provides results. It's like, well, you could take a step kind of sideways to take many steps forward and that could be better for you. So like, yeah, I have to be strict about just making myself take it at some point. And if I can combine it with a holiday, then it forces me to also take some time off work, which I'm inherently terrible at. And I imagine you're probably somewhat the same in that regard as well. I was just going to say, I don't have a problem with my routine. During active rest,
1: because I just do more work. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Um, You fill the gap. (laughs) Yeah. And I I will take some time and and really relax. Um, One thing that my wife and I have been trying to get onto doing, um, we're both workaholics. um, So we really have been trying to focus on relaxing more, especially on weekends. We just like have a time like, okay, 2 p.m., we're done working. Just go sit on the couch and watch TV. Like it's something you got to tell yourself to do. Otherwise, just work all the time, and that's awesome, and you get gets a lot of stuff done. But then it can just risk burnout, and and can risk making the work unpleasant. And those are two things I'm not interested in. So, gotta sort of do that. But you know, during the active rest, I will work more because I just work during times that I'm not. Typically, t- typically I would train. I would just work instead. But I don't work as much as I could, so that I end up still working more, but also getting more rest overall.
0: Yeah. Awesome. I know actually one of the questions that came through, uh, and I think you'll know Dylan McCart- McCartney. I think that's how he says now. Um, he's actually just recently posted quite a bit in the team full ROM, his technique. It's like, I think he's one of Jared's clients, big jack guy, uh, wearing his Crocs in the gym, uh, supporting the Croc movement. And he actually asked a question which relates to some of what we just talked about there. And he said, what is your why and what drives you to achieve I know you also had your YouTube video done ages ago now on RP, which was actually really cool. Uh, But you can maybe elaborate on that.
1: What drives me to achieve? So part of it is just I enjoy the process. That's probably the biggest part. So like I really like doing intellectual work. I really like designing products and stuff. I just do because it's really fun. And with something that's fun also makes you money. Gee, you know, it's kind of hard to stop doing. <laughs> um, you know, it's like if, I don't know how porn works, but if you're a porn star and you have to go to a shoot, like here's a thousand dollars to have sex. you like, what? <laughs> wait, what? Uh, okay. <laughs> so, you know, you don't have to get set a reminder in your phone to show up to that. But, um, so that's a big thing. Um, another thing is like, uh, especially with bodybuilding, I have goals now. I wanna put a certain package on stage that I can see in my head. And I've talked to various folks in my corner and they think it's realistic. And so that drives me because I'm uh, 37 years old. I don't wanna bodybuild well into my forties. So we're getting into the last three to five years of my career here, I think. And it's time to do something. So that is a pretty big uh, why is like, um, I like to take things to their completeness. I like to go all the way. So bodybuilding had a beginning and had a middle and will have an end. And I'm pretty interested in an an ending on my terms rather than the other way around. Of course, you never can tell. Sometimes you get sick or hurt or something and then you just have to stop. But, uh, you know, it drives me pretty hard to keep going on that. Um, And uh, what else? Um, You know, all the stuff that... Like I'm a workaholic and probably because I feel so, somewhat inferior about my, um, uh, I used to feel inferior about, insecure about my intellectual abilities. I don't think that's the case anymore. I'm pretty confident nowadays about that. Um, So I think I'm just doing stuff because I really like it. Um, Another thing is, um, this is a big thing. And I want to make sure I say this properly because it can easily be taken and misinterpreted. you know, a lot of stuff I do nowadays, uh, it makes me money and relative to how much money I grew up with, it's like an obscene amount of money. And, um, because a lot of money's coming in and all I have to do is do my best to keep the money coming in. Why the fuck would I ever stop? <laughs> um, you know, money's a big deal. Um, I'm of the opinion that the more money that you have the better things can be doesn't mean they have to be uh but can you know and and if i'm doing something that seems to be pretty lucrative or i'm pretty good at it and people also seem to want me to keep doing it like for youtube for example a lot of people say really nice things like oh my god like i found your page and now i have a masters degree by accident after 16 hours of watching your shit but like that's really awesome and i think i'm one of the people that's putting out really good info and if i were to stop doing it now, gee whiz, you know, that's not making the world a better place. So some combination of I like to do it, people probably think it's nice that I'm doing it because I'm providing some good value uh, to other folks. And also I get quite very well compensated for it. Gee, you know, those three things together by themselves, fuck, that's a lot of reason to do something because, you know, if I hated it, but it paid me a lot of money and people still wanted me to do it, I might do it, but maybe less, but I don't. If I loved it, people wanted me to do it, but I didn't pay me a lot of money, then I'd be like, oh shit, I'll have to go make money some other way. Uh, you know, and if I made me a lot of money and I liked doing it, but people hated me for it, <laughs> uh, you know, it could it could uh, long-term motivation can really suffer if you are very antagonistic to other people. But uh those three things together, gee whiz, you know, um seems like that's all the check boxes, yeah. Add that in, in my sort of um workaholic nature so I can only sit around for so long until I need to like work on stuff um and my brain only really turns off if I have a lot of marijuana uh which I do on occasion um but uh if I if I if I'm just my normal self I just really like intellectual things like um for fun a couple nights ago to fall asleep I read a bunch on statistical process control why not um I'm reading a bunch on sort of like industrial operations theory It's fascinating shit, man. So like if the brain doesn't really turn off and I could potentially just read a bunch of Wikipedia or I could use it on RP things to make lots of money and make other people fit and happy, um, you know, it seems like I'm going to do that thing a lot. uh, Why would I stop? You know what I mean?
0: I don't know. It sounds like you have very good incentives to be doing what you're doing. Actually, and something that, uh, random side tangent, I heard you mentioned that you like doing IQ tests just like mm. now and then. And mm. I tried one and I really enjoyed it actually. It was, it was quite fun. It was only like a 20 minute one. It then tried to charge me to get my result. It basically said, i done like, really Motherfuckers. well. I was like, mm. screw this. I feel good yeah. enough in myself that I felt like your email's going to get like lost
1: somewhere. Yeah, you're going to get like your account's going to get stolen or some <laughs> shit. I never trust any of that stuff.
0: But on that, in that regard, first of all, what's your IQ score? Uh t- tend to be if you're happy to share it. I don't see why you sure. wouldn't be. it's probably yeah, terrible. <laughs> it's not something
1: I go talking about voluntarily a lot, because you know, I'm socially aware, at least somewhat. And you know, rapping about your IQ score is like a good way to be labeled a fucking douchebag really fast, especially if you do it a lot. I mean, I don't know, you know, we could speculate on why that's the case, but it's kind of like you know, like if a rapper was like, Look, look how much money I'm making. People, are like, yeah, it's what rappers do. But if a politician said that, you'd be like, what the fuck? Or like a CEO, like if Elon Musk posed with a bunch of 100s you it'd be like, ah, that's in poor taste, right? So IQ um, is a fascinating subject. So uh, quick side tangent, really quick. Uh, one of the other things I used to be very into, and now um, kind of filled my desire to study it for at least a little while, is psychometrics, which is the science of measuring psychological variables, such as intelligence. Fascinating, so much to learn in that. Um, And so IQ is just one small subsection, but nonetheless fascinating, a measurement of general intelligence. Uh, There are a bunch of different tests for it. A lot of the tests are for various subgroups, like a bunch of the tests are only for children, uh, or people up to their teenage years. Adult tests are actually more rare, because child IQ testing, like getting your IQ tested as an adult is like, what the fuck for like you already have a job motherfucker do well at your job (laughs) you don't need to know how smart you are as a kid you know like kids come to a new school and they want to know where to place them like iq testing makes a bit more sense so there's a couple of iq tests that are regarded as like a a bit more what is called g-loaded um they uh they're a little bit better at estimating general intelligence that transfers to a bunch of different stuff versus like being really skilled at one thing like some of the iq tests ask you questions like who was thomas jefferson you're know, like like if you don't have that cultural knowledge like if i know like my yeah. dad would do very poorly on that even though he's fucking brilliant so, you know on that he'd do fine but other questions like it would just be like oh you know maybe this doesn't make a whole lot of sense so there's a test called the raven's progressive matrices there's two versions of it the original ravens and the raven's advanced um it's just pattern matching uh pattern recognition they show you this one thing and a weird That's shape the one I did. And they show you five other oh, weird shapes similar. and like which yeah. one's next or whatever or five and then one and Stuff That's like fun. that. <laughs> it's fine. So to be completely honest, um, uh, I had a real hard time with uh, tests like that back in the day. Oh. Um, <laughs> because uh, I would get the correct answer and I would think there's no way that this is just about me matching patterns. <laughs> there has to be some kind of more, uh, more nuanced pattern to this. And, and uh, various test administrators were like, nope, that's it. And I was like, mm, why? why do these things exist? So, you know, anyway, I've been rap- rapping for long enough. Um, I pegged the Ravens advanced scale high. So it goes to 160. And I got all the questions correct a few times. So that's it. I actually <laughs> am qualified to, to, to do the following caveat. So... Um, To my knowledge, Einstein was never formally administered an IQ test. Um, Maybe that's incorrect. Uh, First of all. Second of all, various claims to people's IQs. So the, the Ravens' progressive matrices advanced, pegs at 160, and it is one of the best adult tests of intelligence. I'm not aware of any adult tests of intelligence that have been verified in a large population like the Ravens has that go any higher than 160. So anytime someone tells you they have an IQ of 170 or 190 or whatever stupid bullshit you see in the movies, there's two ways that that can occur. One, it's just straight bullshit. They're just fucking lying, which happens a lot. Two, there are IQ tests for children that um, the score they give you is relative to children of your age. How smart are you? So for example, there's a famous individual from uh, South Korea who had the highest score ever recorded on many years of his life as a child on child IQ tests. And he had, you know, his IQ was like 220 or some shit like that. How the fuck did he get 220? The average is 100. The standard deviation is 15. 220 is like, holy fucking shit, like you're way out there. How? Well, when he was five years old, I think he was already fluent in like four languages and could like do basic computer programming, right? Uh, Holy shit. So compared to the average five-year-old, he wasn't even on the map. Now, funny enough, when he became an adult at age like whatever, 13 He was essentially like, DARPA was like, you're going to work for us, motherfucker. And he was like, okay. Uh, And he went to work on a a bunch of really cool projects and he never really had anything creative to add. He never invented any new process or sort of revealed his genius. He was unbelievably good at taking already extant knowledge, integrating it and and being able to regurgitate it quite quickly. Um, Well, quite quickly, unbelievably quickly with an insane rate of accuracy. But it seems his creativity wasn't... um, Maybe he was just never paired with projects he was passionate about. We could speculate uh, till we're blue in the face. But somebody like Elon Musk, for example, orders of magnitude is more creative. And so this gentleman now, I think, moved back to South Korea, and now he's a university professor. Um, you know, which is super. Requires a very high IQ, but not exactly his childhood IQ, right? So a lot of people will quote childhood numbers to you, and it's by no means clear that child geniuses all grow up to be adult geniuses. They almost always grow up to be very smart adult people. Um, Not always, but almost always. And some of them do, in fact, become geniuses. There's different categories and ways of measuring genius or super high intelligence. Some people are really good at learning things and regurgitating them. Some people are really good at understanding complex concepts. Some people are really good at just very rapid calculations or memorizing lists of all kinds of data, but um, aren't so good at deep theoretical understandings. And some people have a bunch of those, but are also wildly creative. They can look at a complex system and derive from it new observations that nobody else had ever derived, or make a few observations and connect them in a way that is actually connected to the system where no one else would have seen. So IQ tests are really awesome for scanning the general spectrum of population. They're the best at telling you who's uh, here's here's how an IQ test uh, works in its, its, its best form you give it to a bunch of people in the military. And then based on that data, we're give it to 10,000 new recruits. They're like, you, you're going to have a gun and you're going to shoot it at people. You, you're going to sit in this radar station. You're going to interpret data. And the other guy's like, wait, well, I want to go radar. Like, you're not smart enough for that. We don't trust you for that shit. <laughs> now, maybe they're wrong. And IQ tests have a variance about them. There's an error probability. But generally speaking, like, if very easy pattern matching is insanely difficult for you, Looking at a radar screen, probably not the best use of your time, especially when other lives are concerned, right? Or like, let's say you want to go to a school for advanced science and study, and you score very low on an IQ test, man, you're probably just going to fail out of that school. So it's best for them to send you to a regular school. And it may be if the IQ test just because some people just don't test well. Um, So if you score low on an IQ test, it doesn't mean you're stupid. It means you just scored low on an IQ test probably means you're not the smartest person in the world but probably isn't definitely. And so maybe you go to that regular school and you just fucking ace all the tests. You create these new ideas and all of a sudden you're in the advanced school because oops, we made a mistake. But it's just, it just works on probability. So like, what does my Ravens 160 tell me? Like, I'm super fucking smart. Yahoo, fucking throw a ticker tape parade. Does that mean I'm going to be ultra successful in life? Mm, there's plenty of people, uh, funny enough. um, um, What's it called? Well, geez, I'm going to keep this individual's uh, uh, I'm going to keep this private, but I, I know of one individual who also scores very well on IQ tests. And he's not the highest scoring member of his family. He has a few siblings that score even higher. But the thing is, they're like complete recluses and don't go out to the public. They just sit at home. So you know, what I'm saying you're not going to be super successful if your, your social abilities are like this, but your yeah. uh, theoretical abilities are like that. So. Yeah, yeah, you know, that is what it is. Um, I guess that was a really long rant way of getting around. I don't know. Some people are really interested in this kind of stuff. If I didn't say this, oh, yeah. we'd have like 10 questions in the comments. And be like, what do you mean? Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. So, ta-da. That's all it is. And yeah, I guess, um, you know, uh, I haven't taken IQ tests in quite some time. Uh, because you know, once the novelty wears off and you know you're pretty smart, you're just like, eh, okay, sweet. And it's probably better to use your time to actually solve real world problems. Because at the end of the day, IQ tests are just dumbass, pointless puzzles that don't actually accomplish anything.
0: So... Hey, Pascal here. I just wanted to take the moment to talk about our membership site. Inside, you'll find a thriving forum, an extensive exercise library, courses, presentations, and research reviews. All I need you to do is hit the link in the description below and sign up. See you there. I, I found it interesting that you had done them, and I found it interesting to have done one as well and to have learned all of that as well make it makes a lot of sense in that it's not the kind of be-all and end-all and the thing i was getting to and i mean for me i've spent time one-on-one with mike like in real life And obviously through here, I've like spoken to you for countless number of hours. It doesn't surprise me at all that you have a very high IQ. Like it is just, it's not surprising. I don't don't think anyone's going to be surprised uh, (laughs) by that. Uh, But what I'm also interested in kind of relates to Dylan's question in terms of like, in in some ways, what drove you to going into this? Because obviously you're highly intelligent. Is there other, have you ever considered thinking, oh, I could use this for, I don't know. Rather than getting people more jacked or whatever, I could mm. do something else with this mm. intelligence. Have you ever considered, I imagine you have because
1: <laughs> yeah, it's sure. the sort of thing you would do. Right. So uh, Nick Shaw and I, before the start of Renaissance securitization, we were personal trainers at a, a very elite gym in New York City. And we were training a few people that were hedge fund managers. Um, that means they were worth anywhere from the high tens of millions to the low billions in net worth. It's weird to be around people like that. Uh, I don't come from that sort of background financially. Funny enough, none of the hedge fund managers did either. So they were all like, I don't know what the fuck to do with this money. (laughs) So um, a couple, one guy specifically, who Nick and I got to be very good friends with, he straight up told both of us, like, why are you guys personal training people? Like, I can give you the roadmap to become a financial analyst and I can like make a lot of calls on your behalf and you can just go to business school and- just trade various, you know, derivatives and stocks and become ultra rich. And I I sort of was like, oh yeah, yeah, that sounds pretty cool. And then I just directly answered him right there and there with no thought. I was like, you know, I really like this. Um, And I don't think I'm into like going to somewhere 10 hours a day that I don't like so much. Um, Because at the end of the day, like you spend a huge fraction of your time at work. And to me, it's really important for me to, for work to be also my passion. Um, because if you do a work that you're not passionate about, okay, you get paid a lot of money for it. The next question is how much money, uh, would you pay to not be there for 10 hours a day anymore? Well, that's a cash 22. Cause that's where the money comes from. So yeah, you can like do a big sprint and then quit when you're 40 years old and go on vacation forever. But like, I'm not into going on vacation forever. <laughs> I'm into the things I'm into and financial stuff is, is fascinating, from a theoretical perspective, but I have no deep passion for actually making the the trades and and transactions myself. So um, I was like, yeah, I'm just going to keep doing this. And and another thing is like, um, to me, all the money amounts at the time were just fantasy amounts. Uh, My own personal goals for myself when I was that age in my early mid 20s was like, I just want like a decent income that I don't have to worry about paying the bills and enough to put and scrimp and save a little bit so that my net worth just slowly rises to something like, You know, like I can buy a house and a car and make sure like if I have kids eventually that they're like can go to school or whatever. Um, which is stupid because we have public school in the U.S. anyway, it's free. But, um, you know, just something like something that I'm not on the edge all the time, because like my parents, like in Russia, we were on the edge all the time. I live there. And in America, half the time we were here, we were saving so much money that we were, you know, like we couldn't afford all the cereals in the cereal aisle. I just didn't want to be in that position. So I want to be able to afford anything I want at the grocery store. That was my goal. And uh, sometime, uh, you know, after RP began, I surpassed that goal. And then i went like that. And was, I don't, you know, I, I wouldn't trade off my day-to-day passion for what I do for anything but a completely ludicrous amount of money. And even then, I'm not sure if I would do that. Um, imagine imagine making, you know, $2 billion a year. And then people are like, what's your life like? Or like, I work every day. They're like, it's fun. You're like, I hate it. I'm like, oh, how much would you pay to get out of that? Well, $2 billion maybe. So then, it, you know, it undoes itself. So I think that uh, that was, I was, by the time I figured out what I wanted to do in college, I was so in love with training science and diet science and everything that for me, there was nothing else that I was super interested in doing. Um, if I had to rewind, I, I should have gotten into computer programming. I think a lot of people probably say that nowadays. Um, that would have been, uh, I don't know if it would have been fun for me. Yeah, I would have been probably okay at it. Uh, but, um, sometimes I wish, oh, oh my God. A dog has arrived. Good, hold on, she's here. Yeah, she's in chaos mode too. Like, oh no, she she ran up way too Zoomies. fast. So you know she's up to no good. Get out of here! Fuck, psych. You know that dog. Does your dog get psycho energy where they it just is. like bounce off the couch? Yeah, she's in. She's doing that right now,
0: holding anyway, the laptop.
1: <laughs> seriously, it's like fifty pound bulldog. I don't know what the hell she's gonna do. She doesn't discriminate with personal objects, technology. She has no ideas. One speed. So anyway. All right. I think I'm okay for now.
0: We're biting.
1: And Gwenny, we don't eat the couch. Gwen.
0: Gwen. No. Sorry. That's fine. <laughs> I think people enjoy it. I think that was interesting uh, to hear about, yeah, kind of what what drives you and where you are right now and just obviously where you've come from and all of the IQ stuff. But we'll get to the next question uh, because I end up going on tangents too much. So Darko has asked... What is the most astonishingly low MEV during a cut Mike has sore in someone?
1: One that of stiff-legged deadlifts I've seen make someone sore for four or five days reliably?
0: On the note of stiff-legged deadlifts, is there something... Say there's this person who, I don't know, they're saying they can do four or five sets of it. Is there... And the people who maybe have high mevs or mrvs for hamstrings is there some things you comment like do you see then people do kind of correct their form in some way to bring it right down is there something you commonly see with like hamstring training that people who think they have like high recoverability for that muscle group maybe just aren't training it proficiently
1: 100 percent. i would say that of all the exercises stiff-legged deadlift slash good mornings same exercise different bar position um are some of the hardest to do properly, because the heavier you go and the close to failure you get, which is, you know, you have to go heavy and close to failure if movement's going to be effective, the more the technique becomes insanely difficult to keep up. And your body's natural inclinations are all fucking wrong. You want to round your back, you want to bend your knees, but those are the two things that you're not supposed to do. And you can't exactly lock out your knees on a stiff-legged deadlift. It has to be just shy of lockout. And it's just really tough to pull off the movement. It's also one of these exercises where if someone is like, hey, I'm not getting a whole lot, uh, you know, let's say I don't feel my biceps and curls much. I look at them curl, and I'm like, I don't know, man, it looks pretty goddamn good. Uh, it's not a whole lot we can do here. Um, whereas stiff-legged deadlift, you can make two or three super seemingly very subtle changes in someone's technique, and it instantly annihilates their hamstrings where before they were basically not feeling at all. And the way this happens is if you bend the knees a little too much, and you posteriorly tilt the pelvis a little too much, what ends up happening is the hamstrings lose the vast majority of attention, and the glutes and the lower back are still getting great training, but the hamstrings, almost nothing. So you have to make sure the hamstrings are the limiting factor, which means moving the knees back and really arching your lower back a ton, uh, especially if you happen to have one of those lower backs that tends to round. Some people just genetically don't round over, so they're the ones that can look down during hamstring, uh, exercise or like stiff leg deadlifts, and they're just fine, and they you get tons of tension and soreness. So, I think uh, for a lot of people, if you get them to really anteriorly tilt their pelvis, and then you get them to really push the knees back in that subtle little, little tiny area of not too far forward, not too far back, they are going to experience an unbelievable stimulus from hamstrings. Whereas before, the stimulus was she like 80% as much, uh, or sorry, 20% as much of the stimulus as before. So, uh, it's a, it's a potentially a huge, huge thing. So when someone tells me, Hey, like I do one set of stuff like it else, so I'm out of commission for five days. I am really not interested in critiquing their technique because I know they has to be pretty good. It even might not look that great, but think if your hamstrings are getting sore for four or five days, I don't have to tell you how to train your hamstrings better. <laughs> you know, like you clearly know what the fuck you're doing. So, so yeah, Steve, the, there's very few exercises on which subtle changes can make that big of a difference. Uh. Uh, hip hinges and it's funny enough the vast majority of pro bodybuilders i've ever seen doing hip hinges they're not doing them properly and so they'll do them a little bit but mostly they do leg curls and uh you know a lot of the folks we've had a chance to work with rp and the youtube channel we show them how to hip hinge properly and they're like oh my god oh my god my hamstrings What the hell's going on and it's like ta-da so
0: i think uh, i wanted to comment on that particularly because I think sometimes it's really easy to end up, like you said, you need to go heavy and then close to failure. And it's easy to get into that mode and not get those things ticked off. And it's something I'd been thinking about recently, even for myself, where I'd been doing quite a decent load on the bar for decent reps. I'm like, I don't know. I, it's it's, And then I look at someone like Charlie and what he's doing. and I'm like, my numbers shouldn't be as close to Charlie's as right. maybe they are. Right. And so I'm reflecting in, in this position right now. I'm like, I think I need to have someone check over my technique or at least like really shit talk. Like I don't really shit, like shit test myself. Mm-hmm. And I think possibly I was, I'm letting my knees bend too much. I think this happens to me every time I send to progress it for a while, I end up cont- not noticing that that shift in technique has just occurred. And I end up not getting reliably sore in my hamstrings. I feel fatigued and I feel tired, but the soreness is not as present by uh, like the days following, as you mentioned
1: yeah and we definitely don't want to be individuals that renorm their technique change it all take a bunch of load off the bar um, every few weeks because that just violates the ability to progress but every few months especially if you stop feeling in touch with your hamstrings it's a good idea to to renorm it go back down to lighter loads you know, it's kind of a crazy thing if you're doing let's say um three plates stuff like a deadlift for sets of you know 5 to 10 and you're like you know you're feeling okay And then you're like, I don't know if my technique's that great, but I know what the ideal technique should look like and feel like. Let me just try that with two plates. You do a set of two plates and your hams are on fire and you're like, "Mm, fuck. (laughs) And then the the, the real reason you could be upset, you shouldn't be upset. It's all all in the past. It's all good things going forward. The real reason you should kind of be like, "Mm, I think I fucked up is the, the systemic fatigue imposed by three plates is so much bigger than imposed by two. And if you actually get less direct hamstring stimulus, it's like, wow, I've yeah, fucked right. this up in both directions. Not only was it less stimulus, but it was more fatigue, which is when, you know, people do like bodybuilders say hamstring and back training and they'll do like round back stiff-ish legged deadlifts with a bounce off the ground for 585 or whatever for a set of six. Oh yeah, I'm fucking hardcore. It's kind of like, man, I can't guarantee you have no idea what the fuck stimulus to fatigue ratio is. Because if you did, you would never in a million years do any of that shit. Um, so I think the SFR, one of its greatest sort of illustrations is in hamstring training because with proper hamstring training, you can magnify your stimulus like crazy and your fatigue would be very, very minimal. But again, that's hard even for me. Um, it's funny because I have a, I have a live Q and A on Facebook later and Trevor Fulbright already asked a great question. He's like, is there anything you do out of, he said ego, but then he said, maybe not ego, but you know what I mean? I like the Things you like to do that uh maybe you know isn't ideal and I you know I don't do these often for long but I have the temptations at least to realize them for me an easy one is like getting stronger and stronger on good mornings because I can lift a lot in the good morning but then at some point just north of 315 I lose connection with the good technique that allows my hamstrings to get really sore and then like I'll do two or three weeks like that and I'm like god damn it and then I go back to 275 and I get the best hamstring workout of my life and I'm like okay um, and so you know, weight per load progression is an important part of the sport. And if you have to really second guess it because your technique breaks down, it becomes harder. Uh, because yeah. a lot of stuff like you know, properly doing a machine press, arch, retract, press, press, press—all the fucking same. The stronger you get, the better. Uh, with stiff like deadlifts, there's that subtlety there that can be really, really hard to pick up on, and it requires a level of personal honesty for yourself. But really, recalibrating why the fuck you're in the gym to begin with. Like if you're in the gym to lift big weights, shit, it's awesome. And in some cases. Or in some sense powerlifters have it very easy in that sense it's just straightforward yeah. like lift as much as you can um and the techniques that tends to reinforce itself so no big deal whereas with bodybuilding yes lift as much as you can but only if you have a great technique and mind muscle connection and everything like that and if that's not happening you need to go back down and load and slowly start to work your way back
0: Really well said. And actually one last thing um, from personal experience on hamstring training, I was doing some lying leg curls and I wanted to try, I call it your myo match re- like a uh, method uh, where it's basically your kind of new version of my reps, which is kind of like you do your activation set rest as normal. And then you look to achieve the same reps uh, in total in the next set by, by doing some clusters where you have short rest periods. Mm-hmm. I was doing this for lying hamstring curls uh, and, I just, I was like, I, I I, had like my third set of Maya match and I was like, I I can't, like I just need more rest. <laughs> like I can't, yes. I can't possibly do it. They just completely ruined me. Uh, so that was interesting. But with, um, I have a standing leg curl machine, totally fine. Uh, it's probably due to where it's like the load is more in the, I guess, shortened position or something versus maybe the the lengthened, I guess, for the line. Possibly, I'm not sure. Maybe I wonder. It seems like it's almost the same exercise. Is it one leg at a time versus
1: two on the standing one?
0: Uh, yeah, it's one leg at a time. That might have something to do with it. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, I, I actually like the standing one leg at a time hamstring curls, but a TBH, I'm just not patient enough to do one fucking leg at a time. <laughs> fuck, if I'm gonna train hamstrings. It's gonna be both. Like, I, I have a lot of respect for people that do one arm, everything, unilateral training all the time. I'm just like, dude, fuck that. Just plug me into a machine or. A free weight set and just let me go ham with both of my fucking limbs i just it's oh oh i don't know what it is and again that's not rational at all i shouldn't be saying that but here it is
0: is there anything the my rep match kind of that method you use anything you particularly like it for and other things you don't like it for where it's not what so well
1: there's only one thing i really like it for it's exercises on which I would, I need so many approaches to failure to get a good stimulus that I would have to do an inordinate number of sets and rest forever amount of time to get it done. And in addition to that, it's exercises in which the systemic limiting factors aren't really prevalent. And it's much more local limiting factors. Like I don't really get out of breath a ton on hamstring curls, who the fuck does? So like, you know, you can't do my rep match for squat because you will die before it any, goes anywhere. You also don't need that much stimulus. Um, you even, if you know if you do my reps for like something like hack squats, my rep matching might work for the second set. But the third set, you just, like you said, you won't be able to get, you just be, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. But uh, for me, like side delts, biceps, forearms, sometimes hamstrings, calves are an easy one where it's pretty much local fatigue. And if you take a few seconds break, you get a bunch of reps that you can do now and it saves you a ton of time. It lets you concentrate the intensity in a shortened window of time and, you know, it's quote unquote, three sets, but really you've got like eight approaches to failure during that time. And it gives you an amazing stimulus and in just a very small amount of time. There's also an argument to be made. I'm not sure if it's convincing, but in a my rep match protocol, more of the repetitions are close to failure than in the straight sets so of the first five or 10 reps. You know, folks like Berge would say like, those are just kind of lead in reps. They maybe aren't very hypertrophic. Of course, there's been some pushback saying, oh no, all reps are pretty hypertrophic. I do I do still think that rep for rep, the reps five reps away from failure and closer, even 10 reps from closer, are a little bit more hypertrophic. So just on that margin alone, I think you can take, you know, 60 total reps of hamstrings. And if more of them are closer to failure, you're just gonna get a bigger stimulus than if you did 60 total reps, but you know, it's four sets of 15. Or something and then like you know the first 10 of each is not that hard your faster fibers maybe aren't as active as you want them to be etc cetera, etc cetera. so i think that for muscles which you have a really hard time stimulating but are simultaneously not very systemically fatiguing my rep match system uh, works really well like for, for me my biceps can take anything i throw at them damn near um and they're just annoyingly resistant to hypertrophy or even getting a pump or even getting soreness or getting anything so the my rep match is like what's the most insane way we can beat these to shit and that is the answer and for me i've actually got a lot of bicep growth recently doing precisely that but is it annoying fuck yeah is it painful hell yeah do i just want to do straight sets and rest a bunch of course but that's what gets it done whereas with some other things it's impossible like with quads it's unlikely you're going to be able to get a lot of utility out of it but the good news is you probably don't need to there's four sets of hack squats with just one mile rep break in within each one you just don't need that much more maybe one other exercise lighter lunges or something your quads are good but biceps side delts um sometimes traps for some people doing shrugs that can be a great opportunity to use that system to just put in a shitload of work very close to failure and and get the muscle really well stimulated whereas otherwise even just psychologically the amount of sets that would take to stimulate it well is just kind of depressing imagine going to the gym and being like, oh, 10 sets of
0: shrugs. What the
1: fuck? <laughs> Why not four sets? But I get the same number of failure approaches as I would in 10 sets. That seems a little better and takes way less time.
0: But did four arms worked really well for it. I recently mm-hmm. did that um weirdly enough forearms like i i need quite a bit but biceps like when you're talking through that i'm just like for me but it's that one muscle group where i'm just like two sets and i'm like completely ruined it's just such a weird genetic isn't it funny
1: that you have big ass biceps yeah i mean it literally is that so so here's my hypothesis i think it's a very high probability of being correct i think that when people have smaller muscle groups those smaller muscle groups are more often than not composed more of slower twitch fibers than they are faster twitch fibers compared to the rest of the body thus they have a couple of things in common first they don't grow all that well second they need an inordinate amount of volume to grow their best and they don't take damage very easily so not only do you need to do a lot of volume good news you can do a lot of volume they also need a lot of frequency again no problem recovering because they're more slow twitch than the rest of your body but here's the sad part they're not going to ever get that big, not nearly as big as your faster twitch muscle groups. So a lot of people will say, hey, listen, like, my biceps are really big. My triceps are really small. What do I do? Nothing seems to work. You know, outside of a few quick fixes, if you really do find out that the triceps in that individual are much more slower twitch than the rest of their body, you're going to say, hey, look, you got to do more volume, more frequency. And they're going to be like, uh-huh, is this going to bring my triceps up to match my biceps. And You know, look, man, nothing's going to do that <laughs> because your biceps are just designed to grow. And your triceps are not? In, in in your case, I know you also have big triceps, so it's not your case. But you know, I'm sure you have some other muscle groups yeah. which really struggle to bring up, and they're the ones that can take a lot of volume. And you're like, great, I'm doing a ton of volume, but you just don't get that much out of them. Whereas the muscles that are easiest to bring up are the ones that you don't need to bring up. So it's fuck, man. Thank you. Know what I'm saying? Thank you, evolution, for fucking us in the ass yeah. like that.
0: Hi guys, Steve here. Just wanted to take a moment of your time to remind you of our online coaching service. At Revive Stronger, we pride ourselves on providing personalised service that will take your physique and knowledge to the next level. If you're interested, check the description and sign up. No, absolutely. I, and I, I, from my anecdotal experience personally and through like client experience, it mirrors exactly that uh, as well. Which is, and I've actually said it recently on a post. So I was like, you know, people talk about making their weak points a strong point. I'm like, ugh, past a point, like past your newbie stage, you're just not making your weak. I just don't see someone who has a, an inherent like weak point after five years of lifting, making it into a strong point or stronger than their strong points.
1: But <laughs> okay, and if that's really the case, it should be very easy for you to make everything else an even stronger point. And then look, you weigh 290 and you're big Rami. Like, Get <laughs> like out of here. And some, some people, I guess it's, it's interesting. I read an article probably 20 years ago by Bob Chicarillo, the guy who hosts the Mr. Olympia, is a very good pro bodybuilder back in the day. And he says a lot of stuff that I don't agree with. He really hates on like free weight squats and thinks machines are great, blah, blah, blah. But like, you know, it a, all, all due respect, different opinion. The one thing he said back in the day that I thought was like really against the grain of what people wanted to hear, but he was really adamant about it. He's like, look, if you have one weak body part in a group of a lot of other strong body parts, it's very possible for you to bring it up. And it's, it's in fact likely. So like, if you're back, your lats are huge your mid traps lower traps erectors they're all big but upper traps are just kind of small you can probably bring up your upper traps to match or at least not be looking completely ridiculous however if you have one big ass strong body part you're not going to bring your body up to match it this is almost certainly not going to happen is like some guys have insane uh calves like in order for you to bring up your legs to make your you have to have the biggest legs of all time this and that's uh, adductors minimally adductors hamstrings quads glutes it's four muscles If we just sartorius and also the, that's a lot of fucking mass you have to get bigger and clearly you're not genetically disposed to be there for that so he what he was advocating was actually like sometimes you have to stop training a muscle or train it way less to bring it in balance with the rest of your body because yeah. otherwise you look fucking ridiculous uh he's like that might have to be the case sometimes and the idea that you can bring everything else up to match he was basically saying like maybe but that's just unrealistic in many cases and I, I, when i read that i didn't like hearing it i never forgot it though and like i was remembering it recently when i was doing a, a video on like how to bring up weak points i'm like god damn was he correct now of course you should try to bring everything else up but at some point like if the judges are like look your calves look ridiculous stop training them and your quads are small get them bigger at some point you have to think to yourself why am i still training calves like imagine if jared feather trained his calves often. Oh, Newsflash, he almost never trains his calves. <laughs> Imagine if he dedicated the last 10 years training his calves as much as possible. He would have like 24-inch calves. They would look <laughs> yeah. really dumb. Like he would actually look bad on a stage. Body, judges would be like, there's something off about this, disease, <laughs> yeah. right? So, you know, yeah, no, you can't bring up everything to match everything else. And, and one of the reasons you can't is precisely what we're just talking about. The muscles that aren't that big and that strong, probably more slower twitch composition. And then they kind of have the deck stacked against them. And it's like, we'll just do more volume. Well, they can take it well just do more frequency they can take it well they should be huge like they just don't grow much they do grow they do grow but not as much as we would like
0: i don't know if you have this uh way of thinking still mike but i know in the past you said uh, like people go for weak point training really early in their career and you've always and i remember you previously having this thought whereas case of well focus on your strong points maybe first because i guess but and, and maximize those then once you've got that you kind of can focus on the weak points that's kind of like i guess i don't know if you still have that way of thinking uh but for me it makes sense because it's like well get those as big as they can be because that will take less time and effort maybe and then you've got all the time and effort to put towards everything else versus trying to do it the other way
1: yes and and, and, in bodybuilding it's a little bit different because they uh they judge you on symmetry and balance and um in powerlifting and other sports you can be a specialist and do really really well like imagine uh, Dr. Deadlift, That you know that guy the who goes by Dr. Deadlift on the internet? He's pulled like 940 at 198, something insane. You imagine if he was like, oh, I'm not going to focus on my deadlift. Imagine he was probably like 16 and he realized he could pull 800. And it was probably Kaler Willem or whatever, I think that's his name. Um, and uh, maybe there's it's two guys that are really good deadlifters. And uh, let's say he discovered at age 16 that he could basically deadlift like seven to 800 pounds. Imagine if he was like, ah, since that's a strong point, I'm really going to work on my bench. Well, motherfuckers his like eight feet long. He's benched a lot in competition, but compared to his deadlift, close to nothing. If he was to trying to get his bench as big as possible, instead of benching, I think his best bench is like 450, maybe he'd have benched 475 or 500. So what? There's like 100 guys at, a, you know, around the U.S. that can do that. No problem at that weight class and more. And, it, and then his deadlift would have only been like, you know, 850 instead of 950 or something. Like 950 is a call time record. You're famous forever. You're immortal. Whereas, you know, if you were just, oh, it's all about balance. Is it though? Sometimes it's not um, like Chad Wesley Smith was one of my examples for a long time. You know, his quads have this unbelievable ability to just get enormous and super strong. And his hamstrings are like very strong and very big, but relative squats are not as impressive. Like if he just was like, oh, it's all about balance. He would have deadlifted maybe, you know, 830 and would have squatted like 850 and it would have been nice. But Chad squatted like 990 because he let his quads do the thing and he only deadlifted like 804 or whatever. Like gee whiz, you know, that's a pretty good trade off there. Uh, and and there's a thing like you know your strong points can take you really far your weak points can only take you so far so if you delimit your strong points to only as high as the weak points go you're just not going to get very far whereas if you let your strong points go yeah the weak points can keep you behind but the average of that physique or strength of sport performance goes up considerably when you really lean into your strong points i mean we don't do this in any other realm. For an example, let's take a kid who's unbelievably good at math and like just okay at writing or reading the English language. You, you probably wouldn't tell him, like, look, stop studying math. You're already really good at that. <laughs> really got to focus on on reading and writing. Like, uh, there's this thing called engineering where you basically have, you can read like three syllables, you'll be the best fucking engineer ever. You're just outrageously good at math. That's a thing. Uh, so you know, outside of some special circumstances. If you are young and you have some strong body parts and muscle groups that really want to grow, let them shits grow, man. Then when you're in your early 30s, you can be like, all right, huge chest, huge triceps, huge quads, but I do need to bring up my hamstrings and my back. That's a realistic, like Bob Chicarillo said, that's a realistic thing you may be able to do. Whereas if you never bring up anything, then it's kind of like, oh, I'm mediocre all around. Sweet. And, you know, people say like, oh, bodybuilding is about balance. Um, is it though? You know, like, uh, Ideally, yes, but like, like, look at the top Olympia champions. I mean, are all, all, big, are big Ronnie's hamstrings as big as his quads? I mean, his quads just don't actually make any sense at all, and his hamstrings, no matter how big they were, realistically, they would always be dwarfed by his quads, even relatively speaking. What does that stop him from doing? Well, apparently, not fucking winning the Mr. Olympia. You know what I mean? um What's his name? uh Brandon Curry has negligibly sized calves. Like if he had no calves at all most people wouldn't notice not shit talking it's just really how it is he won the olympia for the love of God! unbelievable physique can you imagine if he was like well if my calves won't grow i'm not training my biceps like what so yeah pour it in train your best muscle groups as, as an intermediate uh, train everything of course but if your best muscle groups are getting big don't try to stop them let them get super fucking big and then later your job is very easy because if you already have big pecs filling out the rest of your upper body or big pecs, big back, maybe your arms are a little smaller, getting bigger arms. Then it's just a matter of switching your training and you don't have to worry about also hitting your pecs and back hard because they're already big. That's like a big check. You can just put there and just leave them aside for a while. Branch Warren, for example, had enormous legs and he took a year off of leg training to bring up his upper body. Guess what? It fucking worked. His upper body got really big, not as big as his legs, but then his legs within three months of training him again, were as big as they ever were. If you, if he, was coming up as a bodybuilder and you're like, Look, clearly you have great leg genetics. Don't ever train your legs. I dunno, he'd be average all the time.
0: Yeah. Well said. Awesome. Uh, we get to another question and this is from actually a few people asked a similar question. So I just kind of wrote out this question. Uh, what are the main differences between someone trying to maximize health versus someone trying to maximize muscle growth relating to training and nutrition, if that makes it easier.
1: Yeah. So um, if you are really concerned about health, one thing you need to do is you need to take a look at the data, and there's just tons of data on this, of what the healthy, healthiest ranges are for body weight, uh, for height, and try to stick very squarely within them. Um, if I had to take a very, very particular reading of the research, I would say stick right around the average healthiest weight for your height or even just a little below say a little above over the long term probably doesn't make a whole lot of sense so let's say if you're 5 foot 10 maybe that number is 155 pounds well you know 5'10, 155 pounds is not exactly the most jacked person that's ever been and if you are say well i want to weigh 180 uh you are making a trade-off between health and longevity and muscle size it's a very tiny trade-off and it might you might not have even seen it come to pass but Uh, If you're really serious about health, ostensibly you would do what it takes to maximize your health instead of just saying, oh, I'm healthy enough. So if you want muscle growth, at some point, getting much bigger than the average person starts to impinge at least a little bit on your longevity. For example, anytime you have to carry a lot of body weight around, it's not the most ideal thing for your health. So automatically, even if it's muscle, not great. Another thing, there's a pretty convincing body of research that shows that high-protein diets. the course of many many years through their activation of various pathways including mTOR which is by the way the central hypertrophy pathway uh can reduce longevity It doesn't destroy your health but it makes you live less long that's a real thing so a lot of a lot of people in the fitness industry want to square those two beliefs but they're not squareable because you know we're all eating high protein diets and training a lot and we're very healthy but we could be healthier if we actually ate slightly lower protein diets and we're not as muscular and to that end, one of the best things you can do for your health is to live a very low stress life and also to do quite a bit of cardiovascular exercise. So automatically those things are also both pretty incompatible with training like a fucking psycho for heavy weights and eating a ton of food. Now, of course, I haven't even brought in the idea of drugs, but that I think is self-explanatory. Like if you're going to take drugs, clearly you made the choice to go for muscle instead of health. But even for drug free people, anytime you get bigger than average you're no longer as serious about your health as you could be. Um, if someone, if you're at the beach and you pull off your shirt and someone says, wow, you're really lean and ripped, cool. If someone says, oh my God, you're fucking huge. You're not as serious about your health as you are about getting jacked. And you, and you are very likely unbelievably healthy. But there's a difference between being unbelievably healthy now as blood work is now and in 50 years. And if you carry a lot of muscle mass from now till 50 years from now, you may not be as healthy in 50 years as you would have been had you stayed on the thinner side of things. So that's high tendency. So basically, less protein, less physically putting on tons of muscle and more staying average in size and more cardiovascular uh, endurance training and uh, probably less stress overall. Less stress overall, we could just cancel out because you can do that a bunch of different ways. But definitely those three things, I would say that's what separates them. And, and, And again, I have to be very clear about this. You know, if you weigh 175 pounds of muscle, drug-free, versus if you're 155, you can be almost exactly as healthy. And right now, you could be exactly as healthy, even healthier than someone who weighs 155 if you're 175. But 50 years later, you may pay a bit more of a price for that in your longevity. Uh, So it's something to be aware of.
0: I I remember Broderick actually saying this uh, at some point, maybe at his seminar when he came to the UK, saying about like in terms of like drug use one of the, the biggest things to why drugs maybe are negative towards health was just how big you become uh, and that just puts way more stress and toll on the body in terms of that in terms of like just the size even as a natural obviously like i, I think it's bmi like my bmi is overweight for example and i'm like sure. like lean and muscular it's and sure. like well sure. you think i was healthy but maybe it's not as healthy as i could be if like you said i was lighter Um, where where was I going with this? (laughs) I've completely lost the trail of thought. The the weight
1: being an issue by itself, carrying a lot of weight. Oh, I know now.
0: So, in terms of like people are focused on like eating organic or not having artificial sweeteners because there might be this tiny bit of research that maybe says this is this and this is this. I'm assuming a lot of those are like tiny, tiny details, and this is the biggest kind of factor is like your total body mass in a sense is by far the basic biggest indicator for health.
1: Body mass, body
0: fat, and um, level of cardiovascular fitness are
1: huge, and you know just generally, like endurance runners are healthier on average than lifters. Um, again, if you're lean and if you're young and if if you're not overly massive, you can be unbelievably healthy. Um, uh, but if you have that unbelievable health and you choose to go into endurance instead, you'll probably be healthier still, and your longevity potential will be higher still. Um, you know, take someone like uh, Eric Helms for example. On a proper mass phase, Eric would weigh maybe 200 or 220 pounds. He's like six one or something. That's a big ass dude. That's like a professional baseball player. Nobody in real life would look at that and be like, "Oh, whatever. He's small. He's natty." That's a fucking jack dude, and that's a heavy dude. And you're dragging around 200 pounds for a long time. Gee whiz, you know that adds up. And it's not bad for his health, and but as for longevity-wise, it's not the ideal. There's a very big difference between the ideal and something pretty damn close. So the thing is, if you're drug free and you're training super hard, you want to get big, get as big as your heart desires, stay off drugs, and you will make barely a dent in your longevity and health. However, it will be a small dent. And if you really, because the question was, you know, if you were to optimize going for health, optimization is a, it's a tricky thing, requires a lot of weird shit to happen. Um, you know, people probably looking at you in an airplane eating your own fucking meal that you packed, like, why don't you just eat the airplane food? Well, you're after optimization. Would you still gain some muscle and lose some fat if you ate food? Sure, of course. We're not into it for some. We're into it for all. Just the same way, if you really see your spot longevity and health, you're going to live your life in a very interesting way that in some ways is going to be as meticulous as a bodybuilder would, except in just a quite different direction.
0: Mike, I don't know if I told you this story. I'm going to tell you it just because I think you'll enjoy it. If, I, if I've told you, I apologize. But talking about airplane food and eating your own food. So at the end of last year, I qualified for the WBF Worlds, went to Vegas. I flew there and I I took my own food on the flight. And I thought, great idea, I'll freeze my food because it's probably going to be like in my bag for a while. And it will defrost surely by the time I get on the flight. Hadn't at all. So (laughs) I literally ate frozen boiled potato, frozen egg whites, like crunching it. And yeah, it wasn't great. I tried to use the plain food to defrost my egg whites and potato. It didn't really work. <laughs> like the eat. hot food, it, yeah, wasn't. I sat on it for like an hour, and I was just like, "I'm just gonna do it." <laughs> I just ate the the frozen egg whites and potato. Dude, um, that is a fucking awesome dedication story, right there. <laughs> that sounds terrible. It was awful, it was so bad. Did anyone say anything? <laughs> They're like, "Are you
1: okay? Is this a cry for
0: help?" <laughs> My best friend came with me to Vegas. He sat next to me. He probably was thinking these things internally, but he was just like, "I respect the dedication to the sport." I let you get on. I was like, Don't "This little ketchup yeah. sachet makes it a little bit okay." So, <laughs> yeah, that was that that was um, not a highlight. Frozen egg whites
1: and boiled potatoes.
0: Yeah, the b- boiled potatoes after defrosting also aren't great. They just no, they're flaky and weird. <laughs> yeah, they taste boiled. grainy. Um, Jesus Christ, Steve, that's legendary,
1: man. Um, you <laughs> so engineered bad. a disaster. That actually probably pegs the fprh scale as high as it goes yes like, yeah. you could be starving to death and someone's <laughs> like do you want this you'd be like i'm just gonna die thanks
0: yeah i like, luckily had like some snacker jacks like chocolate well uh you don't call them snackerjacks jacks in the, uh, the u.s i realized they're like i don't know what that is rice cakes flavored oh, rice cakes like yeah, yeah, caramel yeah, yeah. and yeah, chocolate yeah. ones we call them snacker jacks yes. for some reason um so that they were like hyper palatable after eating that i was just like wow these taste ungodly <laughs> they were amazing to get the carbs in but Fuck, yeah. steve that's awesome that's a great story i've never done anything quite that i think in, for my last
1: show for the carb up i'd have something very low sodium and i made unflavored whey protein pudding because it was minimum water or Unf- minimum salt Ooh. it was terrible it was like eating cement it tasted like cement.
0: <laughs> that does sound yeah like if you really need if you're like i'm struggling with hunger on my diet i go to one of those it's gonna it's gonna work well um there was one final thing I was gonna ask about kind of maximizing muscle growth. I, health is part of maximizing muscle growth. If you're not a healthy person, you're not maximizing muscle growth. As someone who's interested in maximizing muscle growth, but being as healthy as possible, what are some key things maybe that that person should do?
1: Want to stay leaner. know, I mean, if you get super fat while trying to gain muscle, it's not really good for your muscle gain. It's not really good for your health. Stay leaner. And a part of staying leaner is having a pretty good daily step count. Somewhere between 7,000 and 12,000 daily steps is probably good for a lot of people. That's my first two pieces of advice. Another thing is try to fill your macros with as much healthy food as possible. Veggies, fruits, whole grains, lean proteins, healthy fats. And a lot of bodybuilders do this well already. One of the slight downsides of the 2013 crest of the ifym movement wave remember that like everyone's oh my god macros and then it's like okay macros are fine they're just part of the right answer and everything uh, part of that movement was completely completely jettisoned health as a concern and i remember like alan aragon i think wrote an article where he was like we should still be eating healthy food guys yes macros are a thing but for the love of god like you can only do pop tarts you know with whey protein and Butter is so many meals of the day until it's like yes, you hit your macros. But so um, I think most food should be healthy, and of course you have some junk every now and again. But most of it should be really good. And so high physical activity, low body fat, generally healthy food, get plenty of sleep, and that's probably like the keys to how you stay healthy. That's a huge, huge thing. Awesome.
0: And hopefully that's nice and simple for people because I think that was simpler than maybe some people think they need to be. Uh, so I think that's nice.
1: I wonder, he was probably thinking they have to take a bunch of different supplements and stuff. Not
0: the case. Awesome, well, we've had an hour. Thank you very much for uh, answering the questions again, Mike. I'll make sure as ever, like people know where your YouTube channel is and all that good stuff so they can go follow you on Instagram still. We still need to get you back up to, I don't know how high above 100K you got to, but you are way above 100K, so we need to get you back up at least there. Oh, Uh, so hopefully my
1: Instagram's doing well. I'm getting some follows. so.
0: Good. Good 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 and uh, yeah I mean if anyone who's listening and isn't following you should be doing that by now I'd be surprised if they're not already so uh, yeah thank you guys for listening and thanks again to Mike for taking the time. We'll catch you soon. Uh, but each coach can only help a certain number of people. Right now, it's all over the place. We have YouTube, we have Facebook, we have Instagram, but there isn't that community aspect behind that. And so the next step for us is developing a membership site. So basically, we want to create a family and a community that is then benefiting from another a really cool community for people within our little niche is going to be a website. They will get early access to our podcast. You can access us, ask us questions, the community aspect. We have a forum there, you can ask questions, but also you can can lock your journey. There's also going to be courses on there, courses, presentations on different topics. Discount of past seminar footage. We will log our journey as well, we'll start vlogging, we're going to have documentaries, our entire athletic journey, furthermore they get access to an exercise video library. The exercises that we love for hypertrophy and maximizing hypertrophy, we're going to go through those in depth telling you how to execute them, kept them concise and also mobile friendly so that you can watch them in between your sets.